Hey, welcome to another episode of Mafia Wife Life. It is me, Mafia Wife, in my life. Mafia Wife in the Mafia Wife Life Studio, wishing everybody well. Yeah, this is another episode of Mafia Wife Life. Yeah, I do record episodes of my podcast, Mafia Wife Life, when I have something to say. Yeah. I've got a lot to say, but I don't always take the time to say it because contrary to popular opinion, babe, sorry, I don't spend 24-7 um, obsessing, you know, as one thinks. Why? Because I've got a lot of other things going on. And sorry to disappoint, but if I did spend 24-7 obsessing, then I really wouldn't get anywhere near the shit done on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that I get done. There'd be no fucking way. So to interpret that that is what I am doing, obsessing 24-7 is a very narrow narrow view and more of a revelation of one's perception of what their concept of time is. It's interesting um, what people think I do with my time. And it's also interesting to hear how the same people use the same extremes. Ask everybody. Oh, you can ask a hundred people always such and such 24 7 forever you know whatever it's kind of boring yes i do have things to say and am i an expressive person yes i am do i tell anybody what to think or what to say no i don't what do i think of hearing that for People don't even want to hear my name. I think it's laughable. And I think, what a cheap shot. But further, I think, well, why would they want to hear my name? It's easier to deny. That is a fact. Why would they be interested in hearing what I have to say? If I were them and thought like them and behaved like them, I'm sure I wouldn't want to hear my name either. But for anyone interested in anybody else's experience outside of their own, they are tuning in. But so are the others who don't want to hear my name. So that's the funniest thing is that tuning in is a choice and it's so funny because though they act like they don't want to hear my name, they are very um, up to date on my podcasts. And it's kind of strange being tracked or try to predict when I say a podcast, what do I say? And, you know, it has come to my attention that 
you know, my own mother doesn't listen to my podcast, which fine, that's her choice. I don't care one way or another, but she has soldiers that report to her that she calls her guardian angels, which is really sickening because those are like uh, angels of death. It's kind of like animals that are bringing pounds of flesh in their teeth with blood dripping on a tufted velvet pillow. You know, the great thing about a podcast or any form of expression, like a book, an article, a guest appearance on another um, podcast, an interview, is that people are given the choice to tune in or not. And if they tune in, um, they're going to hear what I have to say, despite claiming to not want to know. And yet, me, Mafia Wife, I, you know, I appreciate the fact that regardless of whether anyone listens or doesn't listen, I am free to express without interruption. You know, I think the truth is a funny thing. And I know from my experience that the truth really does not, unfortunately, have much to do with what people want to believe. It's so strange. Um, what I am talking about in my podcast, in my story of my life, you know, is true. If people want to talk about their own experiences, they should, but I only hope that they are truthful in the telling, right? Just because somebody has not lived my life or doesn't want to hear what I am saying about my life, that doesn't make it any more true or untrue. I used to think that proving myself was very important, but I've learned that proving myself is not important. What is important is that I speak my own truth regardless of what anybody else chooses to believe. That's not what matters to me. I'm not here to change anybody's mind and I don't care what anyone chooses to um, assign as truth or untruth, okay? I know the life that I have lived. I know the life that my family has lived. And I know the people that I considered to be friends only to have been shown otherwise. Um, I think it is scary. It's scary, really, to think how easy it is for people to be influenced 
and aligned, you know, with a particular narrative, whether or not it's true. Um, I know that the listeners here in this episode know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, 12, it's 2023. Let's see. Yeah, 12, 13 years ago, 11 years ago. I don't really keep such things in my mind, but I know for a fact that you know, family members were directed to not tell me about a serious medical concern surrounding my father's well-being. Um, they were directed to not let me know, and they so they didn't. And I know that that direction came because there were people that really didn't want my father to survive. That sounds terrible, but it's true. I wasn't told because if I was told, I would have advocated and that would not have been a great part of the agenda, right? Of course, I found out about it. And then I found out about the lying and the deceit. And of course, I was mad about it, as anyone would be. You don't tell all of your children what is going on with their father, your husband, and then direct them to not tell the one person who would sincerely advocate. That's what happened. And uh, I was punished for that. Um, I had taken three of our daughters up to the funeral of my aunt in Pennsylvania. I drove back in order to get my daughters to school on Monday. The godfather was in Florida visiting his parents and there was a sort of a, you know, bootleg rigged type situation to get my father home to Richmond where he was then going to be perhaps uh, called in to his physician and perhaps seen, you know? Not directly taken to the hospital, but you know, let's, let's get him into the doctor. Um, my mother went, knowing this, went to an upholstery class that night knowing about my husband or her husband's condition, my father's condition. And I received a phone call from her son, her second in command, who I used to think of as my brother. And he called and he said, can you please come and help me get dad off of the bathroom floor? Now, when I get a call like that, I'm saying, uh, if you're calling me, to help you get dad off the bathroom floor, then that tells me he needs an ambulance. And I called an ambulance and they came and they got him off the bathroom floor and they took him to the hospital, to the emergency room. Later, I was, you know, kind of in trouble for calling 911. That's not the first time that happened. 
That happened on at least two other occasions. Why did you call 911? The only answer to a question like that is I was trying to help my father. Okay? That's what I was doing. Another time my father was on the bathroom floor, I called 911, and one of my fucked up sisters was trying to get her son to sleep down the hall, and she shh, 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 called out, shh, I'm trying to get so-and-so to sleep. And I, because I was so deep in that mentality at the time, I said to the 911 operator, excuse me, operator, my sister is trying to get her child asleep. Can I move to another phone so I can continue to give you information? And I did that, which is absurd. When the ambulance came and they brought my father down the hall and down the stairs on the gurney, this sister said nothing, not one word. Not, I love you, Dad. Not, be careful, Dad. Not, I'll pray for you, Dad. It was chilling. That's what happened. When my father was on the floor in the bathroom, while we waited for the ambulance, I asked him if he wanted to pray, and he said yes, and we said the Our Father together. Over and over, out loud, together on the floor, until the ambulance came. That night that I was called down, that I'm talking about the incident that I'm talking about now, we did the same thing. Years later, when my daughter's friend was shot in the head and my daughter drove her to safety under our sanction as we guided her over the phone, counting on what she could see given the moonlight because she could, she didn't know how to turn on the lights in her friend's car. When she waited for the ambulance, she asked her friend if she wanted to pray and her friend said yes. And I said, how did you know to do that? And she said, because I know that's what you did with your dad. Okay, that's modeling, that's teaching. When I got to the hospital, to the emergency room, I called my mother who had chosen to go to an upholstery class that night, even though she knew the condition of her husband, even though she knew um, what she was walking away from, even though she knew she had directed all of her other children to not let me know, I found out because I was called to help my father get off the floor, okay? So then I did know, and I thought that my mother surely would want to know too that, you know, her husband, you know, was in the hospital and I called and I called and I called and there was no answer. She didn't pick up the phone. So I called my husband, the godfather, 
who was down in Florida, as I say, visiting his family. And I told him what was going on. And he said, do you want me to call? And I said, I don't know, I guess so. And he did. And my mother picked up the phone. So it was clear to me what had happened. She heard me calling, saw that I was calling, chose not to answer, but of course couldn't resist answering when the call came from my husband. So it was extremely clear what had happened. And of course, I was enraged. I could not believe that that had gone on, that they were acting under that direction. I thought it was evil. I thought it was sinister. And I expressed that. And I let nobody off the hook. I said how fucked up it was. It was wrong, blah, 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 because it was wrong. And uh, I would say it again, because I meant what I said, and I said it for the reasons that I said it. So that was another period of exile. And during that time, I was allowed one hour per week to visit my father. And I had to get permission. I was not allowed to visit without permission. I was not allowed to come over without permission. Then the game started, you know, when I would try to acquire permission, when I would try to play by the rules. Um, you know, they wouldn't, she wouldn't answer the phone, wouldn't respond to texts. So I would continue trying. And one day I called and my dad answered the phone and said, hey, what's going on? And I said, oh, I'm just trying to get in touch with mom. He said, she's not here. And I said, well, I'm trying to, you know, see about coming down for a visit. And he said, what? I said, I'm, I, I would like to come and visit you. I'm trying to see if it's okay. And he goes, what? Of course, come on down. You can come visit anytime. Of course you can come. So I did, okay? And so we were visiting in the family room and, you know, 15, 20 minutes after I arrived, you know, my mother called my father. He said, oh, you know, just check in on him, you know, because of course he was there left alone and she was out with another sister. And I've talked to this sister about this and, um, he said, oh, I'm just, you know, not much. No, I'm just visiting with Katie. So this set her off, and within a matter of seconds, I received a text, and I knew that my mother had not written the text because I knew from experience, from the time that I had spent with her, that there was no way that she could write a text so quickly, but the text she directed said, you are not allowed to come over to the house without my permission. Do this again and I will get a court order. That's what she said. Um, a few months after that, I was diagnosed with breast cancer for the first time. What I did not know was that the Godfather had 
gone over to visit with my mother to tell her how wrong it was, what she was doing, and to say, you know how good we've been to you. You know that. And because of my cancer diagnosis, two times that he went to visit, that he advocated for me, that I didn't know about, my mother cried and with tears coming down her cheeks, she said, I know, I've let this go on for too long. Um, had I not had a cancer diagnosis, she probably would have let it go on for who knows how long because my mother gets mileage out of this kind of behavior, out of being a victim. So, you know, because I had cancer, you know, she lifts this fucking embargo and, you know, life kind of unfolds. It's not really the same, but it just continues. It goes on. You know, later, of course, my father dies and you know, there's other incidences surrounding hospitalizations that I can get into on other podcasts. But as it pertains to this podcast, um, what came to my attention recently was um, a visit that um, my mother called my sister about saying, oh, cousin so-and-so is going to be coming down. You know, would you like to come over to my house for dinner on Saturday? Now, this cousin and her family are one of the many that I have entertained in my house over the years, many, many times. Not for my benefit, but so my mother wouldn't have to, you know, take on all that time, expense, burden, etc. involved in entertaining. So this cousin was coming down and my mother made a point to invite my sister. Um, excuse me, I am parched. And my sister, um, who is only one out of 12 siblings that has decided to, you know, remain friends with us. It's funny because, you know, outside of the family connection, we are legitimate friends. We've been friends for a lifetime. We have lots of overlaps in our lives. Um, We've had a few breaks, as I say to her, and she laughs. We've always been friends, except for when we were fighting. That's what real friends do. They, they come to forks in the road. They come to bumps. They might have a disagreement. They might have a battle, but they work it out, and they get back together despite efforts that have been made, ridiculous efforts to sort of try and think that such a friendship 
could be undermined, right? Um, my mother told my sister, well, my sister told my mother, I'm not coming over. I'm not going to be around any event where somebody is excluded. Um, and my mother's response was, well, so-and-so was here and she was going through her phone and she came across emails from, I think, 12, 13 years ago. And now, Mafia Wife owes every single one of her children an apology, which is ludicrous. Because when I got cancer, she said the same thing. You just need to say you're sorry. And I'm like, what? And she's like, just tell everybody you're sorry. And I said, for what? She goes, just tell them you're sorry. And I said, mom, I'm not doing that. I have nothing to be sorry for. I'm not doing that. And I didn't. And for whatever reason, these fucks seemed to fall in line after my mom gave me a pass only because I had a cancer diagnosis. I don't need a pity pass, okay? This is who I am. This is who I've always been. So, you know, my sister tells me about this uh, revelation that my mother tells her about, that this sister has brought these ridiculous emails to the forefront, and she tells her, and she tells another sister, and then bizarrely, she says, oh, this is evidence of how forgiving I am. Uh, what? You know, excuse me? We were friends for a long time. You came to my house many, many times. You spent weeks at my house um, in the Outer Banks. You know, we believed we were genuine friends, but this same person throws this shit out there and then says, oh, this shows how forgiving I am. Um, let me make this clear. There is only one person, one person that I need forgiveness from. And the, that person, the only person is myself. I need to forgive myself for putting myself through all that bullshit that I allowed myself to go through for all the years that I did. I made it easy for everyone by accepting any and all responsibility that came my way only so everybody else would feel better. I didn't care how I felt. It was important to me that everybody else was happy and together. And I just said, fuck it. Who cares, right? I don't think that way anymore. And I'm sorry that I treated myself that way. It's something my husband and I have come to terms with. He says it's okay. You know, we were doing what we thought was right at the time. We're not doing it now because we know better. 
right? So, of course, I'm not going to let this bullshit go about these emails. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm going to reach out directly to the person that did this, and I did. And all this bullshit came back. And this person is not happy with me simply because I called her to task when she was talking about success. She left a business that was funded by a person that seemed to have unlimited access to her parents' money and it seemed like her parents were okay with her dalliances, only so she kind of had something to do and wasn't bothering them. And finally, this person, you know, pulled the plug. And my sister and her partner said they were fine, they, they forgave her. And I said, what do you mean you forgave her? And they said, well, we forgave her because she wanted to leave. And I'm like, well, that's her priority as an investor. She's free to leave if she wants to leave. Um, but as an investor, you know, she has every right to expect return. That's why people invest in business. You don't invest in business, you know, thinking it's okay if you lose your money. You invest in business hoping to have a return. That's the expectation of an investor. People lose money all the time on investments, but they don't go into it with that. So the people on the receiving end, they have nothing to forgive their, um, I wanna say investor, but it's, it's uh, I, I, it's not really an investor. It's, I, I see it as kind of a hobby, you know? So because these people decided, well, they didn't decide, their, their quote investor decided to pull out and the two business people, you know, they, they did not take on the burden of the debt, right? They didn't take on that burden of the debt, which is one thing. And they, you know, have decided to take month after month after month after month after half a year, more than half a year as some sort of um, recovery time because of, you know, what they had, you know, been through in business because they had worked so hard. Guess what? When you're in business, that's what you're supposed to do is work really hard. But if you're working really hard for that many years on somebody else's nickel and have nothing to show for it but that person's debt, um, you know, then what's the point of working hard? You know, you should have something to show for it after that many years. And if you don't, that's a problem. Right? And then somebody else is left holding that bag, which is also a problem. 
Um, so this person was talking about, you know, I deserve it. You know, I've worked hard. I deserve success. And I, I was listening very carefully because I was really trying to be encouraging. And I heard that and I wanted to be sure that what I was hearing was what she believed to be true. And she repeated it several times. And I said, that's not how I see it. Because if you think, if you really believe that, that people deserve success, then everybody deserves success. And I named people that worked hard that I knew. And uh, I said they deserve it just as much as anybody. Okay, this did not sit well with this person who I considered a friend who happened to be a sister. It didn't sit well with her. She was offended and from that point on didn't have a word to say to me or my daughters or their children for months after that. Even though my children um, had babies, you know, and new babies came and it was fucking disgusting and it was wild, you know? And then this person says, you have no idea of how these others care for your daughters. And I say, if that's true, why is nobody calling them? You know, I'm not keeping my daughters from anybody. My daughters are adults. I'm not keeping them from anybody, but it's presumed that I am. And this person that came for me, um, she came for me because I called her out on the emails that she, you know, presented in that way and then credited her, credited herself with being forgiving. And she went directly to uh, her other sister who is, is very much like my mother, takes all the credit, none of the responsibility, um, you know, changes the narrative. And this, this person, you know, whose daughter received a diagnosis and subsequently did not survive for reasons that I don't care to go into now, went down the line and systematically uh, decided to tear down and minimize what we had actually done and who he, we actually had been in the context of her family, which is disgusting. And I saw that text when we were at JMU for a tennis match that our daughter, who is an officer who has been on that team for three years, four years, almost four years, um, has played on it. And I spoke to her a little bit about it and she cried. She was so mad that she cried. And she said, we were there. How can they say that? How can they say those things about you? I'm so sick of your family doing that. We were there. And I said, we were there. But that's what they do. And she said, I would like to text them. And I said, I'm not going to tell you what to do or what not to do. You can use your voice in however you want. 
and that's up to you. And my husband said, it's not worth it, you know, because no matter what you say, they believe what they want to believe. And our daughter ultimately decided, I think she's decided that, or she told me, the only way that I would like to say something is if I was able to get through to them, you know, but I know that I, I won't be able to get through to them because I know that they believe what they want to believe, but we know, we know what the truth was. And I said, that's right, you know, and that's what we live with. This person who claims to speak directly, who says, oh, after every event, I make a podcast, um, who says I obsess 24-7, which, I mean, look at my track record. I don't need to prove to anybody what I do in any given day. I make significant moves um, on a regular basis. I don't need to report what those moves are. I don't need to itemize my calendar, but I know what I do. And it's pretty clear that I don't spend my time, quote, obsessing, but that's, you know, what these people do in terms of absolutes. Always, forever, anyone, blah, blah, blah. Uh, this person says, oh, there's four people that don't want to hear her name. Well, guess what? Is that a surprise? Not really. Why would they? I've never even thought about it one way or another. Who wants to hear my name? Or I don't give a fuck. You know, I'm busy saying my experience, putting it down, writing my experience, putting it down so I can go on living a life that feels free and unburdened. Then I have to hear that there's supposedly a community out there that is calculating what I am not doing in terms of support, which is extremely ludicrous. Who sits back and says, oh, this person's doing that, that person's doing that, that person's not doing that. I'll tell you who does that. And those are the people that I was related to in the early part of my life. The only thing that I care about is what I've only cared about my entire life, and that is family. The only thing that the Godfather cares about, the only thing that he's ever cared about in his life is family. That's the most important thing. Second, obviously, is his work. Beyond that is, is fishing, right? It's not complicated. Um, you know, we have a family and we only care about that, you know? And it took me so long and I'm so grateful to him and my children and now my grandchildren for showing me, you know, what family really is. I have a family. The family that I thought I was beholden to wasn't my family. It was my mother's family, not mine. 
um, it continues only to get better. You know, it, that's, it's just that simple. I don't care if anybody believes that. I don't care what anybody thinks about it. But surprisingly, when I tried to explain that to this person, when I tried to say I'm much happier now, that person said it wasn't true. And, and as, though I, as though what I was saying wasn't true. And I thought, who does that? You know, who, who, who measures that? Who doesn't believe somebody when they say they're happy? If I wasn't happy, happier now, I wouldn't say it. I don't go around saying, I'm happy, I'm blah, blah, blah. I don't have a problem saying I'm kind of down in the dumps, I'm kind of in a fight. I don't have a problem saying that, you know? But if I say I'm happier, not dealing with all that bullshit, and somebody challenges that, I find that so strange. How anybody could do that, or why anybody could do that. Um, you know, we know who we are. And anything that we do, anything that we've always done, is, you know, only if there's multiple gains. You know, we build properties in the Outer Banks and we're good at it and we stand by what we build, but the criteria for building anything we will not consider any property that is greater than a 10 minute distance from our contractor's home. It's important to us that he gets home every day for lunch and back and forth as easy as he can to have lunch with his wife who is suffering from stage four cancer. We have passed on deals that are farther away than that 10 minute drive. We could have, you know, had decent opportunities if we chose, but we refused because that was our criteria. We could have built properties in six months instead of 18 months or 22 months or 30 months, right? Because we like the crew that our contractor works with. We like a small, dedicated crew. We're not in and out, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. That's not how we operate, okay? And people say they, they can't believe it, you know, that most people aren't like that. And we say, well, fuck it, man. We're not going down. If people don't want to come up, that's on them. But we're not going down. And, you know, hearing myself say, fuck it, it's comical to me that suddenly I'm, I'm, uh, I'm considered a person that uses, quote, vile language. Guess what? I've always spoken this way, and people did not have a problem with it until suddenly they're like the language police. And it's funny because years ago when our children were little, you know, they had little friends. And the little friend's parents would say to us, you know, I don't want 
our son or I don't want our daughter to hear bad language when they come over to your house. And I said to them, don't have them come to our house then. Okay, guess what? They came to our house. They always came to our house. And we're still friends today. And their kids, now grown, now thriving, now productive adults, say how much fun it was because it was fun. And the parents are still our friends. But, you know, we decided years ago, you know, we talked about it, me and the Godfather. We talked about our swearing. And we addressed how, you know, it was perceived. And we said, fuck it, man. We like to swear. We're not going to stop swearing. We're making a choice. We're swearing. That's it. We've decided. We don't drink. We don't do drugs. We're not swingers. We don't drink and drive. We don't steal. You know, we don't do any of that shit. You know, if swearing is the only thing we do, if that's our vice, we're keeping it. Anybody that doesn't like it, we don't get, we don't care. You know, they can take it or leave it. That's it. You know, but we were very clear about it and we made a decision about it. Nobody's going to tell us how to live. Nobody's going to tell us how to live in our house, especially. But most important is that we don't tell anybody else how to live. It's funny. We really don't care how other people live. We don't really care about the choices they make that are right for them. But it's bizarre to us, the people that seem to care about what we do and how we live. And they make decisions or assumptions about how we live because it doesn't agree with how they think we should be living or it makes them uncomfortable in some way because we're living a certain way and we didn't go to a certain school or we didn't go down a certain path or we don't pray at a fucking certain church that funds, has a history of funding pedophiles. We can't do that. We won't do that. We don't need to kneel in a church that funds that shit. We don't need to go there to know how to be kind, to know how to be genuine, to know how to be caring, to know how to be compassionate. We don't need to do that, you know? We don't care what other people do. It's surprising to us that other people seem to care about us. So, correct, I'm making a podcast, and thank you for listening. It's a breath of fresh air to be able to express. And, you know, I hope that whatever happens, you know, in this life is, you know, is, is what is best and right for you and your family. Um, we bought eight acres last summer near here because we wanted to build a certain type of experience that we wanted to 
um, go forward with in these next 20 or 30 years that we have left on this planet, maybe 40, who knows. But we wanted to combine the spirit of glory and the ease of, um, uh, of, of proximity, right? So we knew that the next door neighbor had, you know, some acres and we wanted to, well, I wanted to, I wanted to, my goal was to build a pond for the godfather who loves fishing more than anything else, as I say, aside from his family and work. But the way that I needed to cite this project and incorporate a pond I needed, you know, some space on the other side. And I also knew that my neighbor had no descendants and was concerned about what would happen, you know, once he was gone. He's 71. His wife is 69. Um, they're living in the house that he was born in. And we bought the adjoining property, which... Um, included a brick rancher that his aunt had had built um, later when she had the first house, the first farmhouse relocated. So, you know, we told him, we'll move that rancher. You guys can live in that rancher. We'll move the garage. I want to have enough room to put a pond in for my husband. And I would like to preserve these oaks. I cannot get my house sited in the way that I envision without sacrificing these oaks and I don't want to sacrifice them. And we can put your, your house and garage um, on, on, a, on a parcel and you can live there in perpetuity and you know as part of the deal you know we'll get you guys an RV you can take it down to Florida park there for the winter and your wife who was born there who lost her mother at age 19 in her sleep and then her brother three years later at age 22 in a car wreck she can get back to Florida like she's been wanting to get back to since then. You know, these things are possible. If you choose not to accept our offer, that's fine. We'll be your neighbor anyway. And it'll all be fine. And, you know, they looked at us and didn't know what to make of what we were saying. And they couldn't believe it. But, you know, it was fucking true. And his name is Merle, and he was so stunned. He said, well, you know, we'd have to get this in writing. And I said, uh, you know, of course. And he said, you know, would I still be able to garden? And I said, dude, the fact that you garden is one of the best things about you because I want to learn from you because I've been making jam my whole life. I've been making corn chowder. I've been making pickles. And I want the godfather to can tomatoes so he can make a marinara sauce on the pizza that we're going to make 
and our pizza oven and our barn out back. You know, his desires were simple. Our desires were simple. He said, you go to Florida, your house will be here. When you return, you can fish whenever you want. And then the saddest thing was, was when they said, you know, we want to be sure, you know, that our ashes are buried or are sprinkled in this particular spot. And I said, we can do that. And his wife said, I want half of my ashes here and I want my other half in Florida. Where she was from, my father wanted his ashes sprinkled in Florida. It was very clear to anybody that knew him. It was very, very clear. But unfortunately, you know, the powers that be couldn't be bothered to make the trip, which is beyond my ability to comprehend. Um, I'm looking at the time here. The Godfather is going to be coming home soon. I've got to get ready for band practice. So I am going to have to cut it short. Um, you know, I can say, hold on a second. I can say I wish everybody well, and I do wish everybody well. Do we expect the same in return? No, no, we don't. But, you know, if you people don't have it in you to, you know, to see your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your nieces, your neat great grand great nieces, great nephews. I feel like it's your loss. You know, it's taken us a long time to, you know, to sort of accept this, but it's just the way that it is. And, you know, people can go on believing and living their own lives as they see fit, which is what they should do. But my days of trying to convince anybody like my youngest daughter realized when she said after she cried that it wouldn't matter you know i've i've learned that but she learned it a lot sooner so that is the gift that is the gain that is the stuff that makes life worth living so i'm going to um bid you adieu here and wish you all well and in the ways that you can live well. TGYL.